lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Jeremy Lee in the building and every guest that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates hobby talk like you never seen it. Sports cards live and nothing could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. All right, everybody, welcome to episode number 152 of Sports Cards Live. It is Saturday night, August the 20th, 2022, and my name is Jeremy Lee. I want to thank Brian Gray from Leaf Trading Cards for joining us last time. Yet another great episode with him. Lots of comments, lots of chatter. I'm glad everybody turned out and enjoyed that. I want to thank I want to thank FD from Rolling with FD, Michael Coleman, Brad the Comeback Card Investor, Mark from Ultimate Pastime, and the card father himself, Rob Varis from Burbank Sports Cards, for joining last night, episode three of Hobby Hangout. We talked about the upcoming Burbank show, and we had a great discussion really talking about what the Southern Californian card scene is like, what's the feel down there, and what are they all expecting from the show next week. That was a lot of fun. Check out that episode after this one. That is on the Sports Cards Live YouTube channel. Tomorrow on Collectible Live at 7 o'clock Eastern, our guest will be Chris Ivey. He is the director of sports collectibles at Heritage Auctions. That's the auction company that is currently auctioning off the 1952 Topps Mickey Mantle SGC 9.5 that has already broken the the record for the highest sports card ever sold. We don't know what it's going to sell for yet, but he will be on with me tomorrow on the channel, 7 o'clock Eastern. And we're going to take some guesses as to what we think that card will end at. Scheduling notes. Next weekend, no shows on the channel. I will be at the Burbank show. So we'll not be doing a hobby hangout, a sports cards live, or a collectible live. But we will be doing the collectible live on Wednesday the 30th, I believe it is. So that'll be the week after. I want to shout out the Center Stage app. Great channel partners of sports cards live. You can download their app in the App Store. These guys are... These guys are killing it, really. I love what they're doing. Great group of people over there. They're adding features to the app. Check it out. Support them. They're hobbypreneurs. And uh, yeah, join me in getting behind these guys. Also, I just want to thank everybody. I want to thank all you subscribers, all the viewers, podcast listeners. If you're not yet subscribed to this channel, please take a moment. Do so. Greatly appreciate it. Love to have you back and check out more episodes with other industry insiders, content creators, passionate collectors. We have them all here on Sports Cards Live. As always tonight, your comments, your questions will be in play, so don't be shy. Let's get to tonight's guest. He got his start in the hobby back in elementary school when his mother would take him to the the card shop and buy him cards. He took those cards to school, traded them with his friends at recess. It's a common story. I did that. I'm sure a bunch of you guys did as well. He is a TikTok. He has a huge TikTok account. He's built it up to over 60,000 followers on there. And is a gra- he is a grassroots hobbyist. That's what I like the most about him and what I think that you guys are going to really enjoy tonight. His favorite players are Mark Grace, Ken Griffey Jr., Steve Prefontaine, Clyde Drexler. His favorite team is the Portland Trailblazers. He also likes the LA Dodgers. He is from San Clemente, California, and is currently in the process of moving from Los Angeles to New York City. Brian Pirrip, welcome to Sports Cards Live. Thank you very much, Jeremy. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate what you do for the hobby. I appreciate that. Thank you. And it's it's great to have you. And, you know, you are somebody that, 
Listen, I'm going to admit, I wasn't familiar with you because I'm not that active on TikTok until I learned about you. And then I realized that there's this whole other world out there that is kind of outside of Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and it's called TikTok. And there are hobbyists on TikTok. And you're kind of like this, I'd call you almost a unicorn, Brian, because you're out there doing your thing. You have a huge audience and you're you're impacting people. You're making differences. You're making changes. Uh, you're, you're helping people along the way. As I mentioned in the intro, you're a grassroots guy. You're just out there to build the hobby and, and share the joy of the hobby. Um, so that's pretty cool. Uh, before we get into your TikTok, I'll call it your TikTok fame. I'm probably, uh, you probably don't, you probably <laughs> blush or whatever. That's okay. <laughs> Let's learn a little bit about, about you though, Brian, in terms of your, your history in the hobby, how you did, how, how you evolved since those days at recess trading cards with your friends into deciding that first time to put out a video uh, and, and stream it up to TikTok. Yeah, no, thanks for all that. Uh, yeah, it's been, uh, cards have been one of the few really consistent things in my life. Like I've had a bizarre life of living all over the world. Uh, I lived, I've spent uh, at least a year in eight different countries, um, lived all over the United States as well. And so cards has been one of those few things that have kind of uh, stitched together elements of my life. So even though, you know, I was on the road or living in a different country, I always uh, had my cards with me. In fact, whenever I travel around the world, I would always have at least some cards with me. And uh, it's kind of almost a little a secret that I've kept from a lot of my friends and family over the years. But yeah, I first started, I remember uh, I was in third grade and my best friend, Chris Nelson at the time, he, uh, he introduced me, he brought some cards on the bus. He was telling me about how cool they were and they were worth all this cash and they were going up. And, and, uh, and so remember after one soccer uh, game of mine, my mom took me to the, to the local card shop in Beaverton, Oregon, where I, where I kind of spent my formative childhood years. And we went to a place called Mitchell's and uh, she bought me a few packs and at the grocery store, Fred Meyer, she bought me a few packs. We went home and I was opening them and I was hooked. Got my first Beckett, absolutely hooked. I just read that thing until it completely fell apart. And so, and then I, it was kind of the thing where we'd go play basketball at recess and then we're trading cards. And so my, my buddy is all, you know, in Beaverton, we just sat around trading cards, trying to like uh, learn about these players. We didn't actually watch any baseball or basketball. Like we didn't really have access to major league games, but so we would learn about the players from actually looking at the cards, reading the cards and reading Beckett's. That's how I learned everything about uh, baseball. I was a soccer guy until I learned about cards and then I got into baseball and it kind of, I did all that until I was about 14 years old and our family moved to Germany and there were no cards in Germany. There were no card shops in Germany in the late or in the mid nineties. And so that's kind of where I took a pause. Right on. Okay. You mentioned that you got you, when you got hooked was when you were looking at these cards, the backs of them, the fronts of them and, and looking at the Beckett magazine. And I want to, I want to dive into that. Like, what was it that hooked you? What was the emotional impulse that really hooked you into the cards uh, if you could think if you could think back yeah. and I mean I remember I'll, I'll share mine maybe it'll tr help trigger yours but when I was eight yeah. years old and I was at my cousin's house and I saw hockey cards literally strewn on his on the carpet on his on his bedroom floor and I picked them up and I looked at the players and I flipped it over I looked at the back and I realized I was going to hockey games as a youngster with my dad and I was like oh I recognize these players and now I can you know I'm just learning to read I'm just learning math numbers and it was that, I think it was the educational part, like you were saying, that really got me hooked. This was about, this was probably, you know, seven or eight years before I saw a Beckett magazine and there was actually a dollar amount associated. So put it back to you though. What was the, what was the thing that really emotionally made you hooked? 
I think it was the camaraderie of the friendship of my group of friends. And I think it was, um, I thought it was really cool. Like, uh, like I thought the cards were cool. I thought the players were cool. I, I, I would see these, I'd go through that when I'd see the Beckett and the, and you'd see like a Mickey Mantle that was selling at the time for like $20,000 or whatever it was in kind of the late eighties. I just, I thought, wow, what, what it would be like to own something like that. Or, you know, I'd re start reading stories about like Hank Aaron or Willie Mays. And I started thinking these people as these historical characters. I, I thought of it kind of as history, as like this, um, uh, something to aspire to that someday I could own some of those other cards or, um, and I also liked the thrill of the chase. I would, uh, I would go like mow, a, you know, some old lady's lawn in the neighborhood. And then I would bike off to the local card shop, you know, buy a handful of, uh, you know, <laughs> cheap wax. And then I wouldn't even be able to go all the way home. I'd like stop on my bike and open them halfway back. And there was always that, that chase moment. I remember opening a pack of 1990 upper deck and finding like parked on the side of the road, my little BMX bike. And I found a 1990 Kevin Moss. I didn't know, almost know anything about him. I just knew that that card was special and that he was the guy to have. And as soon as that Kevin Moss, it was like this exhilarating joy moment in my life. And I wanted to share it with others. And so I remember going up uh, to Vancouver, Canada, where my cousins all lived and I spent a summer spray painting people's house numbers on curbs to raise cash. And we would just make the money, go to the card shop and buy like 1990 and 1991 leaf. And so it was a, it was always this kind of bonding experience with my friends, my cousins, and uh, this kind of special stock ticker of myself. So I, I used to get really excited if I saw like that my Dave Justice card went up like a dollar or that my Todd Van Poppel card was now worth $3, you know, or my yeah. Oral Hershiser went down 25 cents. What was I going to do, you know? And you I remember actually one, one really crazy day was uh, I, I came home from something. I was running up the stairs, sat on my bed, and I looked down and I realized I had sat on my core collection. And tears just came down. I started crying. I was like 10 years old or something and just crying because I had, I had destroyed my, my, Mickey, or my uh, Don Mattingly, my Roger Clemens, my Conseco, my McGuire. And, you know, for a little kid, for, that was, a, you know, you remember those moments. That, that's a big deal for sure. You called out some great names there. The Todd Van Pobble, of course, Kevin Moss. I remember busting packs back in those years, looking for those specific cards as well. You know, watching a bit of baseball, but really looking at what the Beckett magazine was telling me in terms of, of what they're worth. And you also called out the looking at a Beckett, looking at a Mickey Mantle card that was selling for, say, $20,000, a lot of money for back in the 80s for any card. But and then striving and thinking maybe one day I'll be able to own something. For me, it was looking at the Beckett hockey and seeing the value of a Bobby Orr rookie, which was yeah. a mysterious card. There might have been one that you could find in the whole city I grew up in. And it was at $3,000. That was like huge money, yeah. three grand back yeah. when you're in Might as well have been a million. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I think and there's then, something, I think, Brian, I think there's something to that in terms of what drives a lot of us who've been in this for 30 plus years is, being younger, maybe I'll use the word competing with the magazine and the values there and seeing them, but also competing with your friends to whoever can put the set together the fastest, fill in their sticker album the fastest. These yep. are things yep. that drove some competition. And I often wonder about myself if some of those motivations are still in me that are still part of what keeps me going in the Absolutely. hobby. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It might come back to the whole thing, which is on our agenda for today is that, is there a gene? Is there a collector gene that, that makes us do Absolutely. what we do? 
Yeah, well, absolutely. speak to that. Speak to that a little bit if you can. Um, yeah, that's absolutely. I'm a collector in every element of my life. You should see my inbox on my uh, compute, computer for just my email. Like nothing's more streamlined. You should see, I've kept a journal every single day for the last 20 years. And I, every day before I do any work, I write a paragraph and I haven't missed a single day in 20 years. And it's that same feeling of a collection of like, I don't want to miss a day or I want to put you know, have my stuff really organized. Like uh, my lifestyle, I could put Marie Kondo to shame with my organization uh, habits. And, uh, and so I, and, or my iTunes collection, like my music collection, it is, or my, my movie collection. It's actually a thing of lore amongst my friends because the, the lengths I've gone to uh, collect and put movie posters to, it's, it's actually, uh, there is a, definitely a collector gene and I have it bad. So do you, I, I love, you know, cause you're, you're really, what you're saying is resonating with me. Um, you know, in terms of organization, like if I have a bunch of documents in a folder on my computer and one of them has a, you know, the first two letters of the word capitalized instead of just the first, I'll go back and change yeah. that. So that it, it's all nice and streamlined. Do you think that collectors are generally as part of the gene a more organized personality? But then I think when I say, well, what about hoarders? There's, most of them are mm, that's true. so how do we just for the purposes of this of this chat which i'm finding interesting i hope you guys out there are too, no that's cool that's cool is that where where does the where do you change where does somebody where does somebody convert from being a collector an organized collector to being a disorganized uh hoarder well i i actually think they're like it's venn diagram right there's uh there's sort of two different things because i've gone to i remember going to this guy's card shop in north portland uh like five or seven, about 10 years ago. And it was a hoarder shop or there's another shop I've been to in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, that was just chaos. And I mean, it was cool for them because that's their way of doing things. And it's probably organized chaos. They probably know where everything single thing is. But like for me is a, uh, I'm actually an extreme also um, minimalist. So I don't actually own very much. Uh, I don't actually hoard very much. I don't have a single duplicate card in my collection. I have the core collection. And that's it. That's why, uh, you know, people see me giving away a lot of cards all the time. And a lot of it is that I'll open packs and boxes and I'll have like that one or two card that I was looking for, even if it's just like a common. I needed like a 1988 Wally Joiner, And so I bought a whole box just so I can find this you know, one cent card and then give away all the rest of the cards because I like to have an extremely organized minimalist uh, collection. It actually takes up like one shelf at my uh, place. Um, I actually don't own that many cards. I've probably... <laughs> well, not too many. You as a collector understand that this isn't very many, but I have about 5,000 cards and that's yeah. not very many. <laughs> it, it isn't very many because you can, you can accumulate 5,000 cards in one season of one sport just with the various boxes you might open. But if you are, yeah. if you are constantly sort of uh, culling your collection and making sure that each card has a special yeah. place, then three, 5,000, that's probably more than I have in my collection. And I've, feel like I have a big collection, but every single card I have was specifically curated for my collection. Yeah, so absolutely. What you're saying. Yeah. I'm going to go to a couple comments here. We'll start at the end here with Jake Dahl. He says, I loved those old Beckett magazines so much fun to read. I remember reading in Beckett hockey when Dr. Brian Price, who was the owner of In the Game at the time, uh, bought the, Ve the George Vezina pads, which were from the 1920s probably, and planned on cutting them up, which he ended up doing and putting them into cards. Yeah, those are those are good. That's the nostalgia. The word the word Beckett. It's not even it's it's not even just a name now. It's a, it's a, it's a it's a full it's a full noun, right? It's a, yeah. 
that 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 word itself is so nostalgic for so many of us. And um, with the, in the age of social media, we've been able to meet Jim Beckett, and he's been on my show five yeah. times with me already. And uh, he's due back. He's soon. wonderful. Yeah, great guy. Wow, but yeah, thanks for that, Jake. Uh, center fielders in the house. What's going on? All Valley, <laughs> you. Ah, there we go. Center fielder seven will be at Burbank. Can't wait. Make sure we say hello. Albert Jones, Jeff McMahon, baseball card curmudgeon, <laughs> teapot in the house. What's going on? And Rob says, I've been to that shop in Nashville. It is like a hoarder shop. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Get some hot chicken and then go to the card shop. It's still <laughs> a great day. Perfect. So, Brian, let's talk a bit more about you in terms of what what do you do? What keeps you busy during the day? Um, you know, you mentioned to me a little bit, so I'll, I'll kick you off by saying you move around a lot. You don't really stay stationary in one place too long. Uh, speak to that. Let, let the audience know a little bit more about you. Yeah, no, I, I've lived a very bizarre life. I mean, it didn't help them. You know, my, I've, you know, my p- parents moved me to Okinawa, Japan when I was like two or three years old. And so my earliest memories in life were in Okinawa and then, uh, kind of bounced all over. Uh, so I, I never could quite live the normal kind of life. I just always had to be on the move and doing new things kind of all the time. And so my career has always been in entertainment. Um, I spent uh, my twenties pretty much playing in a rock band. Uh, I was lead singer and wrote all the songs. And so I'm a songwriter. Uh, And then I transitioned from music into television and my thirties were all about television. And uh, that was super fun. I did a lot of, uh, Really cool stuff could uh, speak for hours about that. But then uh, I, during pandemic time, I was, uh, I ended up switching from media because I was doing TV shows with China at the time. And I switched into uh, doing some health and wellness uh, work. I had a health and wellness company in Los Angeles and, and uh, Toronto and New York. And then also put together a little veterinarian business of all things. And then, um, and then I, I kind of started getting into the card thing. Actually, this whole uh, TikTok thing that I do is kind of was more of a hobby thing, but I, at the same time, kind of discovered that I wanted to build a business around sports cards. And so I've been kind of putting all my time, energy and cash into a rather like really cool new business idea, startup all around uh, sports cards and design and, and protection of cards and those sorts of things. So I've had a very wild career, but it has taken me all over, but it's primarily been around entertainment. You just mentioned a new startup, a sports card business. Um, what can you tell us about that, if anything? And and if nothing, when do you plan to be able to tell us about it? Um, it's it's become a bigger thing than I expected. I, um, I've shared it with a few key people. I've made some adjustments. And it's all around display. It's all around kind of uh, protection of cards, beautification of cards, kind of going back to the core values of cards and actually enjoying the cards themselves. Um, can't share too much right now about it, but I'm pretty much, I, I work on this, you know, all day, every day, and I love it. I'm working with quite an amazing, talented team that's kind of all over the place as well. And so I imagine that we're probably going to release, we were going to release this summer, but I didn't feel like our products were good enough. And I want to have a service component to it as well. And so I think we're probably going to be launching around uh, Q1 of 2023, but it's going right. to be, it's going to shake the, the hobby a little bit. I guarantee it. That's a that's a that's a big statement right there. That means that we're gonna got to go big. Got to go all big. Right. Well, that should be exciting. Looking look forward to seeing what it, what it is all about. I and to the audience, oftentimes I can I can get out a little bit of uh, some some secrets. I I can I can wheel a secret out of my guest. He's told me nothing. I have no idea 
what it is, but I might try again hey. later. We'll hey, see. Or, we'll... you know, Jeremy, when I see you in Burbank, I might have to share a little bit with you. So uh, there you go. All right. Sounds good. I, I appreciate that. Well, let's talk a little bit then about TikTok, because that's kind of, again, that's where you have your biggest audience. And uh, so tell us the story. How did you start with TikTok? And guys, to the audience, I want to let you know, like, we're go this is going to be, we're going to talk about TikTok as it relates to the hobby. And I feel, because I feel like this is a new concept to me. I know there's been people on TikTok for a couple of years now, and there's some big accounts on there. But it's not somewhere that I go into every day or even every month, to be honest, and, and look at what's going on on there. So I'm considering this to be uh, Brian Brian's opportunity to, number one, introduce us to his TikTok account, but also to extol the virtues of TikTok for the hobby. So with that, Brian, how did you get started? Tell us the story of, of really the day, I guess, you put your first video up on TikTok. Yeah, no, uh, it kind of came out of nowhere. It was um, uh, I was spending some time with... Uh, a guy that I work with that's also a very close friend, a guy named Sam and uh, our other friend, Colin. And one day I, I was kind of coming into the office, hadn't really, you know, kind of even had my morning yet. And Sam said, Hey, you know what? I think you should be doing like, uh, you're always telling stories about, you know, various things. Like I'm a huge storyteller in my life. I'm annoying my friends and family all the time with long winded stories. And so they said, why don't you, cause I was talking about this whole idea of like building this new company around protection of cards and, and he said, uh, so my buddy Sam goes, why don't you tell one of your uh, story about just one of your favorite cards? And I had a Conseco, you know, uh, the 86 Donruss Conseco sitting on my desk. And I said, you know, sure, why not? And so he filmed me. He goes, I'm going to stick this on TikTok. And I said, okay, go on then. And uh, <laughs> okay, go on and, then. <laughs> yeah. And so that, that, that was it. We uh, filmed it and didn't even really think much about it. Uh, he posted it on TikTok. And the next morning, 37,000 people had seen it. And then we, he said, okay, let's do another one. So we did one, I think, about McGuire and another 30,000. And then we did something about Griffey and 100,000 people watched it. And so we were just like, I think there's something there. Because all the stuff that I had seen as far as content on, on TikTok primarily I, was always about breakers. It was always breakers with just their hands kind of opening up packs and, you know, doing that, which, you know, has its use and its value. But I was like, well, why don't I just tell some stories about the past or my favorite cards and just kind of try to share a more lighthearted version of the hobby. A lot of the things that people have forgotten about the hobby, people get so wrapped up in the million dollar cards and the, and the, you know, one of ones and all the special kind of items and the foils and, and who's pulling what out of a pack and pulling fire and all the cool stuff. But I felt that a lot of people were kind of losing why we all got into this in the first place. What, you know, the stories of our childhoods, the story of bonding with our friends and, and going to that card shop with our buddies, you know, on our BMXs. And so I started telling those kinds of stories and it just kind of, you know, it took off. And it's funny about three months later, uh, maybe three or four months later, uh, you know, I was paying pretty high rents in West Hollywood where I was living. And I asked my buddy, Sam, I said, hey, why don't we both kind of ditch our place and uh, get on the road, spend the cash we would spend on L.A. rent and just travel around the country filming content all over from L.A. to, you know, Key West to New York City. And so we did. We got in the car 
and started going around the country, opening packs, going to card shops, doing all sorts of weird adventures. Like, you know, I went paragliding, opening packs, uh, you know, at 93 SP looking. And we made a, a, a quest about it. We said, we're going to look for Derek Jeter's rookie card from the 1993 SP box. So I bought a box of that and I bought a box of 2011 Tops Update with Mike Trout rookie. And so I had these, you know, two fancy boxes and we went from city to city to city over the next uh, October, November, December of 2021 and had the time of our life. And in the process, we met just so many people. And then, you know, now we've probably had about, I think we're somewhere around 14 or 15 million views of our content. You know, we, tomorrow we're going to hit 70,000 followers. And that's pretty weird for a guy that's just talking about baseball cards and, you know, like my nerdy stuff that I was into that I kind of hid. For me, sports cards has always been like solitary hobby until this year when I finally started talking about it. And now TikTok, I just, I love TikTok. I think it's the way of the future. You said that it's kind of weird for somebody like you who's just talking about baseball cards to get 70,000 followers. But it sounds to me like, you know, there's different kinds of content out there. And I'm sure there are different kinds of content on TikTok, like you mentioned, you got breakers, you've got people showing expensive cards to get eyeballs, which it it can be very effective uh, at doing so. But it sounds to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, that your your brand of content is really about storytelling. And and that's what is, I think that does endear people to you, especially if you are authentic and truly excited about what you're telling a story about. Is that accurate that, that you're, you're storytelling on your TikTok account? Absolutely. That's almost exclusively what I do. It's, it's funny. To my uh, friends and family, what I'm doing right now is absolutely normal. Uh, because even though I said, you know, my buddy Sam uh, started, you know, filmed me for the last, uh, when I started writing that journal about 20 years ago, I also started uh, filming videos about 20 years ago. And so I have a collection of about 10,000 videos that I've recorded over the last 20 years. I was kind of like the OG uh, vlogger. And so I have this hard drive that's just filled with videos from uh, starting in 2022, or sorry, 2002. And it kind of chronologically, you know, chronicling my life and where I was going and who I'm meeting with and things I'm doing. And so uh, to my friends and family, once uh, the TikTok thing started happening, they're like, oh, this is extremely Brian. Telling stories and traveling and making video clips and connecting with people. That's like, that's Brian 101. But but now he doesn't have to he doesn't have to bore us with them. He can bore seventy thousand other people yeah, with them, right? Exactly. Got, I don't. But you know what my, I mean. He's, he's got my family's very now. happy about this. They don't have to hear my stories anymore. They uh, yeah. got to tell my stories online. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, that's awesome. You know, I I want to get into some of the maybe tips and tricks that you could share with yeah. some of the audience who and listeners who may want to jump onto TikTok, myself included. I got an idea. You've given me an idea as to. And I've got a few videos on a TikTok account, and some of them have had a few thousand views. But I have an idea as to what I would do for my next one to really kick off a new uh, a new series of, of TikToks that I would do on my TikTok account. And you gave me the idea because one of my best, and I would ask actually ask your for your blessing on this. And here's why: <laughs> one of my one of my most fun stories about a card that I acquired is when I acquired in 1980, had to be 1980, oh no, this would have been, yeah, this would have been about 1989, I acquired a Jose Canseco rookie card. Yeah. And I acquired it at an at an LCS that I was very close with, the father-son tandem, uh, Joe and Travis Daly. Joe Daly is a former NHL goaltender. He's been on the show with me. They've both been. I acquired it from Travis's son, 
I the story is I traded him. I trade <laughs> I traded him a car stereo for a Jose yeah. Canseco '86 Donruss uh, rookie card. And that exact card that you launched, it sounds like you launched your TikTok career with. And I think it would be, <laughs> yeah. it would almost be uh, a tribute to you if I were to go out there and start a, sto- a storytelling series of, you know, maybe once every few days or daily, talk, uh, telling a story about a card in my collection. And um, and I think because you told me that's how you started, I would start with, uh, with that exact card, tell that story, shout you out, and thank you for really encouraging me to do it. And... Uh, yeah, that, that, that's what I was that's thinking. That's awesome. I love okay. that, Jeremy. I think that's a great idea. And you totally should do it. Anything that brings more eyeballs to this hobby and more people into it, I think is a great thing. It's just, it's a, it's been a joy in my life. And so uh, you doing, uh, sharing those stories, I think is going to, a lot of people are going to love it. I think TikTok, yeah, as far as like tips and things, I, I love that medium. I like it so much more than all, any of the other social media platforms because you have instant engagement with people. You are, it's like a FaceTime call that you were having with everybody else. It's you and them and uh, to, you know, and when you're the person enjoying the TikTok content, it's like you're personal right there with them. There's no, it, no, you know, it's not filters and all sorts of, uh, you know, fakery. It's, it's about as raw and, and real as it gets. And so actually the first tip I would give is the number one secret to TikTok is being as absolutely authentic as possible. People can sniff it out in two seconds, whether you're uh, being yourself or not. And so I think authenticity and uh, speaking, you know, actually, uh, um, you know, f- sharing what you love about what you're into. So, I mean, uh, I, I first started looking at TikTok just uh, during the pandemic. And, I, and now it's, I see it as a huge tool for a lot of things. You can learn how to cook on TikTok. You can get, uh, you can get, you know, some therapy advice you can uh, learn about travel all over the um the world so um that'd be the main thing is if you're starting out with a, a tiktok account um be authentic keep it short you I'm know sure. that's one um 30 seconds is as long as uh you know you can go up to a minute i think my longest is probably like three minutes but usually um you want to try to keep it to like 30 seconds if you're telling more of a story like the kind you're talking about, you can do it in a minute. And for me, as a very long-winded talker, uh, it was really challenging. So when Sam used to kind of record, you know, me telling stories, he'd be like, "Nope, let's, you got to do it again, man. You got to do it again and go shorter." I know you want to keep talking, Brian, but keep it shorter. And so I eventually got accustomed to saying what I needed to on these TikToks in an extremely kind of short manner and cutting to the chase and trying to hook people really quickly with a. You know, like, hey, I'm about to share something that you guys, I think you're really going to like. Something like that. Oh, those are great. Those are great tips. I, I appreciate that. What about planning and, and, and uh, frequency? How often do you load up a TikTok video and how often would you recommend someone starting out does? Um, I don't do any planning for it. It's really spur of the moment. It's uh, uh, no... Uh, I mean, like when we were doing the road trip across the country, it was just spur of the moment stuff. Like, hey, we're at the Grand Canyon. Why don't we film a TikTok real quick? Uh, we're at, uh, in, in Key West, we were going paragliding uh, or uh, snorkeling. And so we ended up filming a bunch in Key West and just Sam edits it all together. So the, the you know, one of the, the th- things I got lucky on is uh, Sam who does all the editing and puts on the captions and does all that stuff. I have a kind of a super whiz when it comes to I mean, he, he went to school for editing, so he knows what he's doing. And so I, I kind of, he'll go and film me and then I'll just kind of, 
you know, talk, talk, talk. And he'll say, okay, I think we got it. And then, uh, you know, there's been a few times we've done multiple takes. I remember I did this Ricky Henderson video, like in probably the first few weeks of doing this and man, I crashed and burned. I was doing it by myself and, uh, I probably did like, you know, 40 takes trying to, to get it because, you know, you have to, you know, you want to put your, yourself in there and you don't want to, and sometimes it can be frustrating if you're not saying exactly what you want to and how you want to. So it, I think another tip is, uh, get, having somebody to help you or to call out some basic, you know, like maybe you're saying ums and us too much, like I usually do, or you're going long winded or you're missing your point and you need to carve it down a little bit. So there's a lot of ways to improve on uh, cutting down your message, sharing the essentials, putting some heart into it, and then uh, being your authentic self in the whole process. Good stuff. Good stuff. Appreciate that. Quickly, I want to ask, you know, on, on Instagram and uh, Twitter, hashtags are a big deal. Are hashtags a big deal on TikTok as well? There's a lot of debate on that topic. Uh, there's been videos that have gone, you know, gone massive without having any hashtags. Uh, I personally like hashtags because I, <laughs> I like, uh, you know, I like seeing the hashtag and seeing, you know, that hey, I made a video about, you know, I made this video about Conseco at the National and, you know, became the number one uh, video on his hashtag, uh, on the Conseco hashtag. And I think that's kind of fun just from that. St and I can kind of track the videos and see how we're doing or, you know, uh, but so I use hashtags more as a tracker. Um, and I also, I also like to believe in the algorithm gods that if you do are, you're putting your hashtags on there, that somehow it's finding itself to people that are interested in your specific niche. So I, I always put hashtags on everything. And by I put on hashtags, I mean Sam does. Got it. <laughs> it, is handy to, it is handy to have a helper. I want to thank Teapot for uh, asking people to throw a thumbs up. Appreciate that, Teapot. Uh, MLW Fishing Man, good evening to you. Always nice to see you in the crowd. So let's let's talk about this. We're still staying on TikTok, but more your personal experiences now. What are some of the, like, tell a couple of stories or just let us know how how have you, what are some of the impactful moments that you've experienced based on your TikTok activity, personal connections you've made along the yeah. way, that sort of thing? Yeah, you know, like for me, uh, TikTok, I mean, uh, sports cards was an extraordinarily solitary uh, hobby of mine for so long. And so when we started me, doing this road... Sorry, Brian, I have to interrupt you because what you just... And I want to bring in a comment that Lee Haskins just put in, the, in, in there because you said sports cards was a solitary activity for me for as it was for all of us, I think, when we were all of us of a certain vintage yeah. when we were younger. And this is the key. And I'm glad you said that because I'm just going to bring up Lee's comment. He says, I'm not into all these online platforms, but glad they are popular for sports cards as the collector I am. And that's, yep. I think, what you're about to say, yep. Brian. And I want people like Lee and others to just, you know, I'm not saying you got to do this, but it's an option is that these different social media platforms allow you to build relationships with like-minded people. And Brian is obviously you're about to tell a story that is exactly that. So please, exactly. Please continue. And I do apologize well, for jumping in. No, that that's the thing, man. Is that uh, a lot of people, you know, say, "Oh, TikTok's for you know, 15 year old girls that are doing dances." Right? I totally disagree with that. I think it started as that, but I think it's now evolved into so many different disciplines where you can find the algorithm on TikTok is extraordinary, where it can find your niche very quickly. And so, if you want to. Um, your TikTok channel will be entirely sports card. That's it. You can you can actually tailor it to being that way. The algorithm learns very quickly that you are a sports card guy. And next thing you know, uh, I had a friend of mine say uh, that was following, you know, started following my TikTok channel. 
And she said, you know, it's funny. Now my entire TikTok channel is just uh, baseball card videos <laughs> unintentionally because I've been watching all of your videos, right? And, uh, but yeah, storytelling. Um, so it was a very solitary hobby. And then went on this road trip. And wow, it, all of a sudden, I started meeting all these incredible people around the country that, that love the hobby and where the cards are actually kind of sometimes secondary to it. I mean, a lot of these guys that own card shops, they've been around cards for 30, 40 years. And for them, it's not so much about the cards anymore. It's about the fact that they're an expert in something, that they use this to bond with people, that they have regulars that come in. It's kind of like the show Cheers, remember back in the day, where everybody knows your name. I've been into card shops where all the guys that are in there, everybody knows them. They know their name. They know that so-and-so's you know, opening some packs over here, and this guy comes in and just buys some stuff and goes home. So there's this weird, bizarre kind of subculture that exists around the country of these local card shops. And so every city I would roll into, I'd go and pop into one or two uh, shops. I've probably gone to hundreds of them now. And, you know, like one of my favorites is I went to this card shop in Oklahoma City um, and I went to one in New Orleans. And and the guys that were running these shops were just really great people. And I ended up meeting I'm in Atlanta right now. One of my favorite card shops, two of my favorite card shops are in Atlanta. And I've actually made real friendships. My two moments really stand out. One is uh, uh, probably my favorite moment, of, actually the favorite moment of the whole trip. If anybody has seen my content, they they've uh, like on YouTube, I have the longer video on there uh, is I met this, uh, I was in New York city and this uh, guy wrote to me cause I was also opening some 89 upper deck, which happens to be one of my favorite sets. And this guy, Joe from Johnson city, Tennessee uh, wrote to me, he just wrote a comment and I love reading comments. I love responding to the comments. It's actually, it's like a highlight of my day every day. And Joe wrote, I would give anything to open a pack of 1989 upper deck with you. And I was like, hmm, I'm in New York City. I'm supposed to be driving to Los Angeles, but something about this guy. And I, you know, I, I looked to see who he was. So I, I looked at his, uh, he had some of his own videos on TikTok, like a handful of them. And I thought, this guy is my kind of guy. I want to go meet him. And so I drove, uh, me and Sam changed course. We drove all the way to Johnson City, Tennessee. And we pulled up and Joe pulled up in his, his old uh, tow truck. And it was like meeting a best friend that I never knew I had because instantly, instantly we had a connection. We started talking about cards. He was wearing this like Griffey t-shirt. He had, uh, he was wearing, you know, uh, these shoes that I thought were really cool that I always also wear. I'm a big sneaker head as well. So uh, we were, you know, bonded on the shoes as well. And then he, he brings out this bag of gifts and he's like, man, I've been watching you, you know, you know, all your travels and all your stories. And I feel like, you know, we bonded. And I said, and he, so he started giving me gifts. He gave me some of his, you know, prized cards. He gave me uh, a shirt that was worn by some, a famous umpire uh, back in the day. And he, uh, he, it was just unbelievably touching. And I was, I was going to actually just give him like a pack or two of upper deck, but uh, we ended up, I ended up giving him all the rest of the upper deck I had, which is like 10 packs or so. And he opens them up and we didn't really find any like key cards in there. And he said, his favorite card of all time was the Nolan Ryan rookie card, but if he and his others were the Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, the Michael Jordan baseball card in 1991 upper deck, and we were just having such a good time that I couldn't help myself. I, I said, "Hey, why don't you come back to my car for a second? I got my my core collection. I I traveled with this suitcase across the country, a little briefcase with my kind of my favorite cards." And I so I opened it up and I I said, "Hey, I got something for you," and I I pulled out the 89 
upper deck Griffey card that I, you know, my, the first one I ever pulled out of a pack as well as my 91 Jordan that I pulled out of a pack like 12 years ago. And I said, these are for you. And he looked at it and, you know, tears welled up in his eyes uh, and gave me a big hug. And it was, it was one of the, actually, I would even say it's one of the, my favorite moments in my whole life, probably because we, me and Sam got in the car after that. And we drove away and we were, we just couldn't even talk for the next like hour or two. We were just like floored that we just had this incredibly bonding experience where it's not really about the cards. It's about this kind of like brotherhood or this friendship or this kinship because we all had similar, you know, uh, maybe moments from childhood that kind of all kind of came together. And then luckily a lot of people saw that video, uh, probably uh, I think a couple hundred thousand people saw that and they started reaching out to Joe and started like uh, connecting with him on TikTok. And then he started joining like Facebook forums. And next thing you know, uh, he was writing me months later saying, I have been, I've met so many people in this hobby because of that video that you posted. Hmm. And for him that, that, uh, you know, he's told me that that was kind of a life changing moment for him. And it still, it humbles me that that kind of moment happened. And now I think of him as this friend that if I'm ever in Tennessee, I'm going to go, of course, I'm going to roll by and say hi to Joe and we'll open some packs and do more stuff like that. You know, so it's, it's special like that. That's, that's such an awesome story. Cause as you're telling it, I'm just thinking to myself, all of these special moments that you experienced, Sam experienced, Joe experienced, as well as the audience that, you know, as well as me here and everyone that's watching and listening to us right now, none of this happens if you don't put up that first video on TikTok uh, on day zero, right? None yeah. of this happens. So the hobby, James Fertitta says right here, the power of cardboard. And yeah. it's, it's, right, as funny as it's, <laughs> it's not the cardboard, it's the fact that you did a video, but cardboard, it, cardboard is the, is the commonality. It's the bond between yeah. everybody, but it takes, it takes some guts and it takes, so a certain personality to go out and do what you what you've done along the way, and you know, if not like as you said before, the hobby was a solitary uh, activity for you for most of your life. I mean, let's face it, we've been. I, I like to me and my buddy Amit, we call ourselves cardboard nerds. You know, it's just kind of a fun way of poking fun at ourselves, even though we think it's cool as heck. We still call it, you know cardboard nerds, but at the end of the day, we are building solid relationships. We have Joe Perot in the crowd right now. He says nothing like an LCS. Good evening. And, uh, you know, Joe's become a he's in the audience here, but he's become a very good friend of mine. And it's because of because I one day decided to go live on YouTube and we met each other that way. Never would have met otherwise. Uh, but it is, mm -hmm. as James says, it comes down to the power of cardboard to allow you to meet like minded people that you're probably going to have a better chance of developing a bond or a friendship with yep. both. And that is something that is a humongous gift to to all parties involved so the power yeah. of cardboard actually james i might have to i might have to change the title <laughs> i might have to change the title of this yeah. episode to the power of cardboard i like yeah. that that's funny yeah, yeah. That, but i mean there's and i have a lot of those stories that was probably my favorite but um i try to i i try to let people know what stadiums i'm going to be at or what card shops i'm going to be at and so i've actually met up with several people at different stadiums that i go to because i'll go to a stadium one of my favorite things to do is walk in with a box of old junk wax and i'll just hand out and and end up actually it's kind of funny how that started um i've that's one of the things i'm really known for on tiktok is handing out or throwing out packs at games and it happened uh, really uh because me and my friends we went to a dodgers game 
and I showed up, I had a box of, I think it was like 89 tops. It was like total junk wax, but I thought it'd be fun to open some packs. The three of us just sitting there watching the Dodgers play. I thought it would be kind of a fun experience. I kind of shake things up a little bit. And as I'm walking down the, you know, the, the row trying to find our seats, this one guy shouts out, are those tops baseball cards? And I said, yeah, why? He goes, Hey, can I have one? And I said, yeah, sure. Why not? And so I gave him one of the 36 packs and instantly the stadium around where I was just erupted with people shouting out, I want a pack. Give me a pack. I want a pack. It was like, it was hard to describe. And I got this massive grin on my face. And next thing you know, all the packs are gone and I've given them out. And, and so that was it. I was hooked. So every stadium I've gone to, and I've been to probably like 15 or 20 stadiums or I don't even know how many in the last like, uh, five months or so. And every time I go, I usually bring a box or two and hand them out in the stands. And usually somebody that follows my TikTok will actually see, you know, like I'll post sometimes at the game and they'll be like, Hey, I'm here. Why don't we meet up? Or, Hey, what row are you in? I want to come and meet you and say hi and take a picture or whatever. And so it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of, or I'll be walking through the stands and somebody be like, Hey, I know you, you're Brian. And it's, uh, it's been just a joy in my life and people, you know, like I met this guy, Eddie, at angel stadium who's like the biggest angels fan i've ever met and instantly as soon as we met up it was hugs it was talking about our favorite cards and we come from different backgrounds but it instantly me and eddie were like super tight and we're still friends because of the the meetup at angel stadium awesome i I love it i've been fortunate to have a few experiences (laughs) like that myself not not at a baseball stadium but just walking at a car you know it's funny we say that uh you know there's some there are some hobby uh, personalities, let's say, who, uh, you know, it's easy to get lost in yourself, I, I think. But we have to we have to kind of remember that myself included on a smaller level, we're only sort of recognizable at card shows. You know, anywhere else <laughs> in the world you go, nobody knows that people at a card show might know who you are if you're lucky enough to, to even have that. Um, I'm going to a couple of comments and I want to come back to, to where we were. Uh, first of all, good evening to my friend Dave Kaplan. Nice to see you. Colin Murray says, as a dealer, I have more fun just going to the shows to see the guys than selling cards. Very powerful. And Joe says, it's awesome how the new technology has allowed us to take what can be a somewhat isolated hobby, and especially in a time of isolation, i.e. the pandemic, and being human together. Kudos to Brian. That's a nice comment uh, right Thanks, there. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, that's a nice one. Uh, D Perez says, Brian, you have done more advertising for the hobby than Panini and Tops have done in the last decade. So that's a, that's a monstrous statement right there. It also tells me that D watches or knows about your content. Thanks D. That's, that's pretty cool right there. Lee Haskins wanted to know, have you ever been through Virginia in your travels? Yeah. Yeah, I have. Uh, I drove through Virginia. Um, didn't have a lot of time. I was actually, uh, but because I was headed to DC and so. DC was one of the most memorable things because I ended up going around to a bunch of monuments around DC and opening 93 uh, SP trying to find Jeter's rookie. And finally we went to the hotel Washington in DC, which is a beautiful uh, hotel where it's kind of this bar restaurant that overlooks the Washington monument and the white house. And so that was the one where we opened the pack and you guys can see it on the TikTok channel. We're opening the pack and there's, uh, Derek Jeter's rookie card in there and you know we're just freaking out a little bit and uh, so that was my one my, my Virginia experience was more of the uh, powering through to get to DC but I, I'm always going to be traveling around the country I'm actually flying to Los Angeles tomorrow 
And as you told me in before we came live, you will be at the Burbank show. So I'm going to meet you in person because we yeah. were both at the national, but we didn't we didn't run into each other there. So Burbank you know, will be a bit smaller. So people. Yeah, Burbank <laughs> yeah. will be smaller than the national. We have to make sure to uh, to be able to at least say hello, shake hands. And yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So here's what I wanted to come back to. I want to, and I think this is a question we should all be asking ourselves. Every every single person who's every single person who's in the hobby, whether you are doing it from a point of isolation or you're doing it from a, a point of being more of a viewer on social media, or you're an active participant or a content creator, is what is your hobby mission? And I want to ask you this, but I want to throw a little wrench in that question. And say, what is your hobby mission today, and how has it evolved as you've come to learn? how you are impacting people in the hobby. Yeah, my, my initial hobby uh, goal. Um, so I, I got back into collecting when I was uh, in 2009. Um, my life had kind of fallen apart a bunch and I ended up moving up to Canada. And uh, it was actually cards that kind of made me uh, feel happy during those days. I kind of reconnected. I just, for some reason I thought, mm, uh, I think I used to like a lot of these cards. And I started looking them up on, on Google and all I'd seen those pictures of those cards, man, it, it just, it, it filled me with all sorts of happy, good memories. And so that's kind of what rehooked me. Um, and so my mission at the time was just to kind of pull as many cards out of packs from the eighties as I possibly could. And so it was funny. I moved to England for business school about uh, six months later and uh, I'm sitting there in Cambridge, England in a little tiny dorm room. And it's like freezing cold outside. And, but I was like, you know, the cardboard had me. And so I ended up ordering a bunch of cards from California, had them shipped all the way to England. And in my little dorm room, overlooking the Cambridge rugby field, I'm like opening packs by myself on a cold, like, you know, December or January day. And, uh, and so I, I started putting together this, you know, collection of all my kind of favorite cards from childhood. And then I started getting into more of, hall of fame players and i started collecting from like the 80, 1887 to 1993 that became my sweet spot but and so my main goal of of the hobby at, at that time and, and through kind of 2009 to pretty much 2021 was always about just building my binders of of like all the you know the way i have this really interesting system of kind of organizing my cards uh and so i wanted to put that together but then this whole TikTok thing happened and now the, the goal is entirely different. I mean, it's, it's, it's turned into the goal is now to, to make card collecting um, to kind of uh, humanize it a little bit more, make it a bit more fun. There's so much, like I'm not against people making cash in the hobby. I think it's a great thing. I hope my company does very well, but I think there's so much of an overemphasis in today's world on the financial side of things. And some of the joy of it has gotten lost. People feel that if they don't pull some like one of one out of a pack, I mean, I've had teenagers that have come to me and they're like, or they'll, I have a ton of teenagers that write me on the regular. And uh, uh, that's a lot of my audience. And they're always asking like, what, what do I do? My collection's no good. Nobody likes my collection because I don't have any uh, fancy cards or my value of my collection is really low. What do I do? How do I get better cards? And I'm always trying to tell them that I said, you know, when I first got in, when I was 30, I was completely broke. And I got excited about like a 1989 tops, you know, Mark Grace card. And, uh, and so the, 
what I'm hoping to do is kind of remind people that there's joy at every level of the hobby and there's so many different ways to collect. There's no right or wrong way to collect. As long as you're having a good time, that's all that really matters. And, uh, and so um, I think, yeah, I think a lot of it is, is trying to bring the joy uh, and kind of highlighting that and uh, building human connections and reminding people it's not just about the cards. Yeah. Well, well said. And I'm going to play off that in a moment. First of all, hello to Clay Phillips. Uh, Lee Haskins says, I don't bring up sports cards to my friends and coworkers. It is an isolated hobby. How can we change that? And I think one of the, I'm going to take a shot at this, Brian, and you can play off of what I'm about to say, but because I think we've all gone through this, you know, we, and I were talking the other day, Brian, about like back when you'd be dating a girl, you would, you would kind of like be cringing because you're like, I got to tell her about this because she's going to find out eventually, but I don't want her to leave me and think I'm a big nerd and just, walk away and uh i think that i think you know it is becoming a little bit more mainstream and i think that uh that a lot of friend you know people that aren't in the hobby that are your friends or your your romantic interests that a lot of people just just they just respect somebody who has a passion and interest a hobby at all and i think we almost uh, oftentimes we kind of consider it to be more nerdy than it actually is but another thing and this just happened to me recently brian because i've i'm like in the midst of, i just left my my job and, and career. And, um, and I had to update my LinkedIn page and I was like, okay, well, what do I want to do? Do I want to continue being the CPA on LinkedIn, which, which I am, or, and I don't want to do CPA work anymore, or do I want to go full sports cards live, you know, sports card consultant looking for some jobs that way, that kind of thing. I decided, screw it. I'm just going to be me. I'm just going to get out there and be a card guy. And if, if anyone else has an yes. issue with that, that's in their head. I don't need to know about it. That's fine. Um, and I think that's one of the, you know, the answer, one of the answers I think to, to Lee's comment here is how do we change that is by being proud of who we are, being proud of our interests, not being embarrassed or shy about them and not worrying about other people thinking that, yeah, oh, if I tell them I collect sports cards they're gonna think I'm a I'm, I'm a big nerd or they're gonna judge me or something when in in reality people I've told this to that you don't know how they're gonna respond nine times out of ten they start pumping you with questions because they're so interested and, and, and intrigued by it so that I, I want absolutely I to, I, yeah I wanted to throw out that throw that out there so but but if you could just respond with just to round yeah. round out the discussion you know your experience with telling people dating, uh, and, and and the the element of being proud of who we are as people and mm-hmm. as sports card collectors. No, I love this, Jeremy. And you did the right thing. Uh, going from the CPA to the cards. Life is short. We only have one yeah. life. It's short. It goes by fast. Do things you love. There's there's uh, you know you don't want to. There, there's so many things you can do in this life that are actually enjoyable, that are hobbies that can, you can turn into careers. So I'm actually extraordinarily impressed, Jeremy, that you've done that and taken those steps. I think that was a wise move and you're going to be much happier for it in the long run. So I find, I find talking to, about cards, like, like I said, I kind of was closeted about it. I kept it really quiet. I remember, you know, I, I would tell like a, I remember I told this, a girlfriend of mine, uh, it was like seven or eight years ago. And I was like, Oh, by the way, I kind of collect cards. And at first it was like, you know, kind of a, you know, it wasn't, she wasn't entirely impressed. And then uh, I remember I had bought a box of cards and I had them with me and I forget where we were. We were in like Charleston, South Carolina. And uh, 
I was like, I'm actually looking for this guy, Frank Thomas. It's this box in 1990 leaf. I've been saving it. It was kind of a hard day. And next thing you know, she was like opening the packs with me. She got really excited and that was it. She wanted to like, you know, go to the next card shop so we could buy, be able to buy more packs. I think it's, it's one of those things that we're more fearful about what it's like. And once people hear about it, they, most people either they collected or they, when they were kids or their friends collected or their dads or their moms or somebody that they know collects like, I do this thing sometimes, uh, most times where whenever I'm in an Uber, which is all the time, I usually will ask the Uber driver, hey, did you ever collect cards? And it's amazing how many people from different backgrounds are like, oh, yeah, I used to collect when I was a kid. Oh, are, there, are any of those cards still worth anything today? And now it's now that I've kind of uh, come out on <laughs> all my social media, like on my Instagram was all my friends and fam family. And then I there was one day, it was about six months or so ago, and I was like, all right, I'm going to start posting about this stuff. And so like, I'm going to kind of announce, you know, even though I'd been doing TikTok for like six months or whatever at the time, I was like, well, I think it's time I kind of told the friends and family what I'm doing. And all it, I, I thought people were going to find it kind of weird or awkward or whatever, but quite the opposite. I started getting all these messages from friends from high school and college. And they were like, oh, I used to collect too. And I'm like, what? You used to collect? I had no idea. And next thing you know, I'm talking to like, you know, friends from high school and college that actually have collections of their own. A good friend of mine, uh, <laughs> I remember sitting next to in Spanish class all the time back, you know, in the late 90s in Germany. Uh, she was like, oh, yeah, I used to collect cards. I, me and my dad bonded over. I have this whole box of cards. And I was like, how do you have this? I had no idea. And so what usually ends up happening with most things that we feel shame about in life is that once we start telling people about it and being our authentic selves, people love it, man. I, I don't talk. Everyone I talk to about cards usually loves it, except for that one guy when I was like, yeah, I do car sports uh, cars. And he's like, oh, cool. Sports cars. That's awesome. Do you drive like a GTR? Are you into Ferraris or Maserati or whatever? I was like, no, sports cards. He's like, oh, yeah. OK. Baseball cards. Baseball cards. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but I love cards. it, man. It's awesome. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. For sure. For sure. Uh, Seth Mellon, thanks for joining. Your your comments are making me chuckle and you're 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 just teetering on the on the on the on the point of uh, not 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 being welcome with the language, but uh, this is a this is a for kid suitable for children uh, broadcast. But uh, thanks for joining and have a great night. Uh, Colin Murray says, "A uh, full timer, Jeremy. Congrats, stress free going forward. You will love it. Thank you, Colin. Um, not not uh, one hundred percent certain what my role will be, but I do. You know, I'm looking. I'm I'm not looking to just become a. No, sorry, I don't mean to say it like that. I'm not looking to." Uh, scale out my sports card dealing as much. I want to keep that where it's at the same level. I'm more looking to get involved at the at the corporate level uh, or in a consulting in a consulting uh, fashion. I, I have Brian. I have the privilege. I do a show called Collectible Live for Collectible, the mm -hmm. fractional ownership yep. company, and they they source the guests for that show, and um, they bring in a lot of uh, people from auction companies, like the big named auction companies. Yeah. And uh, we've been through, we've probably interviewed, I probably interviewed someone from all the major sports card auction companies on that channel. And what I've started telling them over the last uh, couple of months, since I knew, I knew I was leaving my career uh, back really at the beginning of January when um, things started to happen. And uh, in any event, um, I've started to say, saying to them, listen, I'm considering myself a bit of an expert on hockey cards. If you need somebody to round that out, I'm, I, I'd be available. So that's kind of the thing I'm looking to do. Awesome. Is, consult and scale out the content that I'm doing and continue to buy and sell cards that I love to do. And of course I'll never, ever stop collecting. Uh, Lee Haskin, thank you for the good luck on that. I appreciate that. Uh, quite a thing. Uh, quitting your study. I didn't really quit. 
The company I was with was acquired in July of 2021. And, uh, it, you know, when a company gets acquired, everything changes. The culture changes. The personnel changed. My job changed. And it just wasn't for me anymore. I stuck it out for a year to transition. And then we kind of agreed to part ways. So it wasn't a quit or a get fired. It was a, a very amicable split. And then I had to decide, what do I want to do next? And I thought, you know what? I am like, Brian, you just said it. You only live once. Life is short. I don't want to come home from work and not be uh, enthused when I greet my, my wife and kids. And that's what was happening before. So now I am excited about what's ahead. So thank you for that, Lee Haskins. Awesome. Speaking awesome. about my, my kids, let's talk about kids for a second, Brian. And because we always talk, like I look at you as a grassroots guy. You're someone, you're out there, you're meeting with sports fans, you're traveling the country, giving away packs of cards. And We've talked about how can we make sports cards something that isn't something to be embarrassed about, which I don't think it should be. But what about talking? Yeah. About, what about talking about how to grow sports cards at the grassroots level with with kids? And you know, do you have any insight based on your TikTok audience, your TikTok experiences, your road trips that you've been in, going to baseball fields and giving away packs? Do you have any tips on what we can do to get more kids or young people involved in the hobby? Yeah, I think they just need to be exposed to it. I, I actually thought initially that uh, kind of the digital age of gaming and you know social media and everything would kill cards entirely. But what I've seen is this incredible kind of rebirth for, for kids um, where because there's nothing in the digital world that is quite the same way as opening a pack and trying to find, a, you know, and going through it and trying to find players. What I've discovered now is that cards are timeless. And I think it's only this market is only going to grow. It's going to grow massive in the next uh, 10, 20 years. And so I think that kids just have this natural inclination to, you know, trading to putting, you know, there's, like you said, there's this gene for the collectors that it will really gravitate towards it. But um, I mean, I, I remember, uh, I went to a uh, to Amarillo, Texas. I was driving through on Halloween, and uh, I had I had this huge bin of of cards in my car that I wanted to kind of give out along the way. And so, me and Sam, we went and put all these like baggies together of of cards. We went down to this little league field in Amarillo, where there was just probably ten fields all together. They're having this like kind of regional thing, and it was pretty much all like eight to maybe 13, 14, 15 year olds. And we ended up walking in. We thought we, you know, we we felt really awkward at first, kind of walking over to these fields, like you know, handing out some little baggies of cards. And next thing you know, it kind of exploded. This uh, it was actually parents and coaches and all these people were wanting to come over and get all these cards. We probably gave out I think somewhere around five to ten thousand cards that day. And and every single kid you could see like in the parking lot after their games, all these kids are walking around trading. They're asking, Oh, what do you have? What do you have? And we didn't just put commons in there. We actually put a lot of stars and, and there were some decent cards that we had kind of mixed in uh, just for the fun of it. And so I think they just need to be exposed to it. Right. Like if I, you know, give gifts to like, you know, families or, you know, Christmas or uh, birthdays or whatever, I always like to show up with cards because it's just, it's an easy gift to give, you know, or give out duplicates or packs or, you know, friends have asked me, Oh, do you have any suggestions for, for gifts I can give to my nephew and niece? I'm like, yeah, go, go to the card shop, buy some cards and give it to them. And because it's just, it was a happy thing in my past. And so I think a lot of people could benefit from something that's a little bit more uh, like that. So that's, that's how I think 
about uh, in, including kids in cards. So, yeah, that my mind races so many thoughts going through it. The first one, I've said this, if anyone who's seen my show a few times has heard me say this before, but here's here's what I do. And I, I will share this with you and hopefully put put the seed in your head and you can you can go and share it as well. Halloween. If you if you are you move around, I don't know if you have a if you have a fixed place of residence, but you know I've for probably uh, since I bought my first house and that was 2004, I think I um, I give out hockey cards on Halloween in the neighborhood. I'll take yeah, ten base awesome. cards, put them in a team bag, cool. and I'll give those out to the kids. But the trick is you got to also give them candy. It can't just be cards. And what's <laughs> awesome is that you know the boys want them, the girls want them too, and then. In my old house, which I was in for, uh, I don't know, 13 or 14 years, um, I used to have kids that would, every year, it snowballed. It'd be like, you know, you'd see them bringing more friends because they're like, oh, that's, this is yeah. the hockey card house. And that's what my house yep. became known as. And I don't know if it got anyone into the hobby or not, but it certainly made people aware. It exposed more kids to it, even if it was only yeah. 100. You know, I didn't have, yeah. a, I wasn't that busy on Halloween, but that's one thing that I think everyone can do uh you know and it's an easy thing to do especially you know and you can even go as nowadays you can go ahead and throw a jersey card or an autograph in there too because they're likely not too you will likely have some that aren't too valuable and you can just give those away if you'd like to so um i wanted to throw that out there but speaking about kids still brian the hobby has 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 changed since we were kids to being so financially driven and not all kids have parents that can afford to purchase a blaster yeah, at Target or that kind of thing. Um, you know, how do we, how does the hobby and like fanatics should be listening to the answer to this. If we come up with anything good, I'm not saying we yeah. will, if we do, um, how do, how does the hobby instill those original core reasons for collecting, which is literally a quest to complete a set. That's what collecting was about back then or to get that you're a card of your favorite player out of a pack. How yeah. do we kind of get back to that for youngsters so that they don't have to always be chasing the thousand the dollar card, the million dollar card, and can just enjoy collecting? Do you have any? And it's a tough question, but I'll, yeah. I'll put it out there to you and anyone, and, and also to the to the uh, to the chat if you have any sort of suggestions on this. Um, all ears. Um, no, that's a fantastic question. Actually, one of the things uh, that my company is working on is an attempt a solution at least one part of the solution to that problem. Um, but uh, I think one thing is also just educating kids of what, what the value is, where, like, they, like you said, they all think that they need to chase after that million-dollar card. And if they think they have to get the million-dollar card, that means they need to buy the $1,000 box, the hobby box, or they need the $500 or $100 hobby box. And that's ridiculous. I, man, I would have never. I, I definitely grew up on the poor side of town, uh, and there's no way. I, I remember this one kid bought a box in 1989 Upper Deck, which was like 100 bucks, and when it came out, and I remember seeing him riding down the street with his Upper Deck box and thinking, "I'll never be able to have that." I, you know, 50 cents for a pack of 89 tops was kind of pushing it back the, in the day for me. And so, I think it's re-educating people to find the joy in the hobby that is not just the big chase, right? If they're all thinking that they have to get the big chase and that, you know, I'm, I try to tell people that like, you know, when you guys are watching, you know, YouTube and Instagram, TikTok, and you're just seeing people pull these massive cards, it starts putting in the psyche that everyone's pulling massive cards except for you. Yeah. And I think that feeling really tears people down. It's that, 
that negative side, the toxic side of social media, which says, oh man, this person's living this, you know, super blessed, blinged out life. And I'm just, you know, I can't do anything. And I think that makes people feel bad. And so I think that's that re-education or, you know, people are like, oh, I can't buy a, you know, a $200 hobby box. And I'm like, well, go to your local card shop. There are always $10 boxes. There's always, you know, the, uh, you can like, I, you know, it's, surely it's not going to be as fun uh, opening a box in 1991 Leaf as it is a box of 2022 Bowman or whatever. But still, there's always just opening packs when you're a kid is a special feeling, right? And especially if you have something to kind of, you know, like, you know, the Beckett's or, you know, there's probably online price guides or whatever that you can kind of find checklists and see what you need to do to complete the set. But I think, I think it's re-education and I, I really hope that Fanatics really doesn't just maximize the dollar and actually makes some sets that are purely for the lowest of the low financial households. You know, if like, and that's the thing is when you're a kid, you don't know any different, right? When I remember being uh, about nine or 10 and mom got me a box of 1991 and I never opened any box at this point, but she got me a box of 1991 Don Russ, which is a terrible set. And but I knew that there was a David Justice in there and a Kevin Moss and a Popple and some of those other guys. And she, it wasn't like I got the box all at once. She had it on top of the fridge or whatever. And every time I did something nice or did a chore, you know, mowed the lawn or she would give me like a, a pack of 91 Don Russ. It was meant to kind of like, you know, keep me going uh, positive for a while and to last. And, and it was the worst set at the time, but I still got a lot of joy out of that set. And putting it together and finding those, you know, I found a Griffey in that set. And so that was still really special. And I think that Fanatics has a massive opportunity for the sake of goodwill by creating sets and packs that don't have the all the relics and all the, you know, the over-the-top things that make the boxes expensive and bring it down for a budget version so that at minimum those like 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-olds are enjoying it for the sake of just opening the packs and trying to find their favorite player. Yeah, it sounds like a great place to be. I question if we're going to get there, though. I really do. Uh, just yeah. because, yeah. you know, even the even my, my, my opening comments there to you in terms of how do we get back to collecting for the sake of collecting. And as you're speaking, and I'm thinking about it sounds like a utopia, a utopian <laughs> sort, of a, sort of mission. But at the end of the day, the world has changed. Kids' interests have changed. Back in the back when I was growing up in the eighties, you didn't have all the options. Yeah. There was I didn't have a smartphone in my pocket. I mean, I was lucky to to get a TV in my bedroom when I, you know, eventually. Like you didn't Absolutely. have all these things. So I, I and that's where I struggle with: Are we chasing? Are we are we running around in circles? If we try, if we put too many resources into that, or am I? Is that wrong? And this is what we should be doing. I don't know the answer for sure, but I think it's something that. That, you know, I just know that as a kid, I enjoyed trying to complete that set. And we've got a lot of comments that have come in since then. And uh, we'll get to one. I think it was, I think it's Lee, uh, this one down here. Lee says, I don't think the set collector will be, will be a future. I don't, sorry. I don't think the set collector will be a future of the hobby. I think singles is where new collectors will be. Could be, uh, could be that's where it is. But I think there will likely be some people that still want to collect sets and, uh, unless you have something to jump in with to respond to that, Brian, I'll go through. Some yeah. Comments. Well, I, th I think part of the problem with the set collecting in today's world is the companies don't actually make it easy to collect a set. I remember trying, uh, 
I decided about six months ago to start learning about modern cards. And so I bought some like boxes of like 2017, 18, 19 Bowman, Bowman Chrome, Bowman Draft. And I was trying to like wrap my head around how do I complete a set? And they actually don't make it easy. I was like, well, the first bit of the checklist I can get from Bowman. But if I want the rest of the cards in the set, I have to buy Bowman Chrome. And then there's like half and half, like Bowman and Bowman Chrome and some of the other sets, they actually make it where they they fight against the set collector. They make it really challenging to put a set together. And so I think part of it is that the hobby is, uh, the, the makers of the cards have actively tried to destroy the idea of building a set. You know, and they have a lot of, you know, so many different kind of refractors and parallels and relics and all these other, you know, so many different inserts and all the inserts aren't numbered, right? They have different letters or whatever. So it actually makes it hard to figure out what a base set is. And so when I was putting together my 2021 and 2022 Bowman, uh, I had to actually create my own kind of checklist to say, okay, for me, this is what the set is going to be. And like we had said at the beginning of this, uh, that there are people that do have the soul of a collector and I don't care. It's, I think it's a gene. I think it's part of your, who you are, it's your DNA. But I think uh, the comment was correct that the way the card companies are today, um, it's not it's not positioned to build sets. And so I think that when we talk about building a set, it might not even be necessarily uh, a numbered set of like one to seven twenty. It might be you know your own collection of what you are trying to collect, and that tends to be singles. But then you build that collection. Oh, maybe I want to build all of the Yankees from this year to that year, or I want to have all the the new prospects or the Hall of Famers, or you know there's. I've heard a million different ways that people collect this year and I'm fascinated actually by all the different styles that are out there. And so there's always people put these rules and these parameters to kind of make it fun for themselves so that there is a chase rather than just only going for the LeBron triple logo man. You, you found the sweet spot there, Brian. And I agree. I, and I've, I've had those, those thoughts before. So thanks for honing, bringing me recentering me and my thoughts as I was going in circles in my own head there. Um, yeah, you don't need to necessarily follow a manufacturer's checklist. You can curate your own yes. set or collection based on any set of criteria that makes sense and, and are exciting and interesting to you that exactly. might, pull on, might pull on the heartstrings or bring back some nostalgia. So there, is, there are, like you said, there's millions of ways to, to collect yep. cards and, and to create a bit of a quest for yourself within the hobby as well. Um, exactly. lots of comments have come in on this topic, so I'm going to fire through these, Brian, and see what the crowd is saying, and uh, and we'll jump in here and there. First of all, Eric wants to know if you can get fired from a job in Canada, seems like that would be too rude. And Marco says, Yes, you can, but they usually lay you off so you can collect unemployment insurance, and they apologize often, a lot, yeah, which is often very true. Uh, Lee, Lee wonders if the young kids in the hobby will be interested in vintage, yes. they seem to be to gravitate to ultra. I think that some people are just, they have an affinity for history. They're interested in history. And those people will, ones that don't care so much about history probably won't. Well, take the two of us, actually, me and uh, Jeremy, right? Like, like uh, neither of us were around when Bobby Orr was playing or when uh, um, Mickey Mantle was playing or Babe Ruth, geez, or Ty Cobb going back all the way to Mike Kelly back in the 1880s. You know, I think, you know, I was the kid that wants still is like when all of us were at the national, we saw that, you know, the Mickey Mantle sitting at the two Mickey Mantles, the PSA 10 and the SGC 9.5. And we're looking at those Mickey Mantles. You know, I wasn't around, you know, my dad was like a, a kid kind of a thing. And so 
I think that that's one of the greatest things about sports cards. It's 140 year old, you know, history. And so I think that there's people that just get into history. There's, I mean, there's a whole television channel called the history channel and people like it just because it tells us stories about world war one, world war two, right? There's just a lot of people that have that kind of inclination to love history. And so I think there's going to be a ton of kids that are going to get into vintage because it's also, <clears throat> it's Amazon proof, right? You have a limited supply. And because of that MS, uh, limited supply, <clears throat> much like a, you know, fine art pieces that as those things become increasingly older and older, they become increasingly rare and more treasured. And so people will start being more and more into them. There's a reason why the Louvre in Paris is completely packed all the time, crowded around the Mona Lisa. That's how people are going to be crowded around a 1952 Mickey Mantle, you know, 20, 30, 40, 100 years from now. Okay. No, it makes, <laughs> makes sense to me. Uh, back to kids. Uh, he, Dave French says, I make a giant monster float every Halloween and give out sports cards and garbage pail kids. That's that's awesome, David French. And he says, man, I put, David. And I put cards in the little free libraries all the time. So I've actually got one up the street from me and I see them in my neighborhood. I've never thought of that. David, thank you. That's an amazing awesome. idea. I that's save cool. all the base from the odd box I open and it, it, that's what I use on Halloween. And now if I have any excess, I will definitely put it in those little libraries mm bunch of comments come and says how many kids actually follow the sport players maybe some if it's in popular culture i suppose that's why basketball cards went through the roof yeah. says i think sports card and tcg share a parallel kids collect tcg because at some point it's art it's definitely art. those are original designs right it says kaboom mm -hmm. inserts seem to be that segue it's it's an art piece Mm -hmm. Yeah, there you go. Yep. Uh, it's an art piece. The card hobby says the focus on card values and high dollar bangers led to a bunch mm -hmm. of, the, of that content on social media. That is what many of the younger collectors were exposed to first and affected how they view cards. Yeah, that's an astute comment Good right point. there. That's great. Great point. MM says opening packs is a special feeling, but when the hobby as a whole ties it to financial gain, it's a it's a hard barrier. It is somewhat. David French yep. says they're going to have to be in cereals again and at gas stations <laughs> and inside Cracker Jacks, inside Doritos to, or something relevant and young. I love I love the idea of, um, you know, inside the Cracker Jacks, Doritos, gas cereal, all that. I mean, I, I in my yeah. day, Brian, no, no phone, no iPad eating cereal in like literally when I would like I'm 50. So in 1978, I'm six years old. Eight years old, a couple of years. I'm eating cereal at the kitchen table. All I had to 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 occupy my brain space was the back of that cereal box. That's mm -hmm. that that's where my eyes were focused. Nothing else going on. So cereal would be fun. But again, that's backtrack. That's devolving. The world has evolved since then. So I think we have to take the concepts and apply today's technology and reality to that to that to that concept, if possible. Uh, Justin says, in order to get kids back to that, you're best you best to unplug the internet. <laughs> exactly, but probably not happening anymore, right? Uh, the cardboard, the card hobbyist says, pulling a Diamond King from '91 Donruss was a hit and never got to see Ooh, the yeah. Elite. Those elites someday, are still... man. I would still want to pull that uh, Ripken Elite someday, man. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, yeah I'll open for all sure. the '91 Donruss to find that one. MM says uh, that doesn't increase their bottom line. Fanatics enter the hobby in a way to cut out the middleman and have more control of the product going out. 
they says they release a pro- uh, TCG does a great job. They release a product at a standard price. Let the secondary market dictate where it goes. They don't vary their price points for people to chase. Okay. Uh, Dave Kaplan says tops base is for set collectors. Yeah. I th- and I think like in hockey, we've got Opeachy basketball. I'm sure there's something prism. Maybe uh, I'm not exactly yeah. sure. James says the challenge for kids is there are too many products nowadays. Yeah, but they can't afford all of them unless they can, in which case this isn't really an issue. But uh, most kids, I think most of the population would be able to purchase, like as Kaplan said here, the tops base set for for collecting. Yeah, uh, yeah. the History Channel is great. And that's probably <laughs> why Jake Dahl is watching this show right now, because we talk about the whole gamut of the hobby on here. Uh, cardboard hobbyist says, uh, the Ken Burns baseball documentary is a great start. I'm not familiar with that, but thanks for the shout out. Oh, it's phenomenal. The Ken Burns baseball documentary is the gold standard for baseball history. I, I try to watch that every couple of years to kind of keep it all fresh. How long is it? Awesome. Oh, it's, it's, it's not long enough. And it's like 10 hours. Yeah. If you want to know the history of baseball, I have two recommendations. One is watch the Ken Burns. And if you want the history of baseball cards, read Mint Condition. Yeah, I've read Mint Condition. Uh, the Ken Burns, I'm just writing this down, the Ken Burns Baseball. Oh, Jeremy, it is a, it, I would say it's a must watch. Yeah, or, well, uh, <laughs> that's why I'm writing it down. I agree. It's yeah, you're going to you're gonna love it, man. It's yeah. so good. It, it covers like the early, early, early days, and like Civil War and how it all came to be. It's, there we go, nine hours. It's Haley Williams. Let's us know nine hours long, nine hours long. Thank you. Um, yell. Yeah. And I know we figured out that it's Haley backwards, uh, but I know you're not Haley Williams, but you're a fan or something like that. I don't remember exactly. Okay. And then uh, Jake Dahl, another great watch is when it was a game, the baseball series. Good shout out there. Awesome. Uh, Bill here says vintage appreciation is part of a collector maturity. Most kids always start out loving their current ultra modern. Today's modern is tomorrow's vintage. That's, I mean, that's my story. I started buying hockey cards that came out that year. And then I decided I want to, I want to go back and have my first big project in the hobby, Brian. I started in like 87 or 88. And it was, I wanted the rookie card of every thousand point man in NHL history. I thought, what a great way to get a great collection, sort of a hall of fame type pursuit. And at the time there was like 50 players. Now there's like 90 of them. So it's a, it's a set that, when you if you chase a set like that as a collector, the exciting thing is that every year you're going to be able to add one or two players, but that's it. Only yeah. one or two, and you might go four years with nobody, and then all of a sudden there'll be three guys who get in. That can be a lifelong pursuit, a really fun uh, project, right that's, there. That's that's what it's great is this whole thing is a it's a lifetime hobby. It's not a it's not a race, right? Like the I wanted to turn this into a lifetime hobby, and I I loved that comment. That that was such a great comment because. I remember like uh, when I first started, you know, uh, recollecting in my uh, 30s and I went, I really chased after all these like 1980s cards and I finally got pretty much every one I wanted. And then, and I was still, you know, very uh, broke at these, these days. Uh, I was always trying entrepreneurship projects. And I remember I, I kind of was leaving uh, a job and I thought, okay, I'm about to ch- start a new chapter. And I walked into this one card shop and I saw this. It was a 1961 Mickey Mantle card. And I had never bought any vintage, like anything prior to like, you know, before 1980. And I remember staring at it for a while and it was like a hundred bucks. And I was like, today's the day. Today's the day I'm stepping foot into the new world. And I bought that Mickey Mantle, put it in a little one, one touch. And that thing went around with me around the world for the next like, you know, many years. 
And so I think that's very true. I think the kids that collect like the modern cards today, for them, that's our version of like the late 80s, right? So they're going to they're gonna do that. And then there's going to be that percentage that will maintain and that will have that same renaissance of maybe collecting sometime in their 20s or their 30s or their 40s. And all of a sudden, they're going to be like, wait a minute, I can own a Mickey Mantle card or I can own a Derek Jeter rookie or I can own a whatever. And I think it's they'll have that renaissance and they'll be able to, I think a lot of people, people are going to be collecting vintage forever. As long as the cards is around and kids are, uh, and people are around, we're going to be doing, uh, people are always going to want vintage cards. I agree. I, I, Hey, listen, I mean, like you said before, I never saw the players play in the 1910s, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s yet. Yeah. I've heavily pursued their, their cards for years and years now. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, right now we've got some comments coming in uh right over here well right here the next one the card hobby says my main pc is baseball hall of famers i get to add players to it every year you know my thousand point man collection actually evolved into a into a hall of fame collection because if you're a thousand point man you're a hall of famer so it got to expand the 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 selection of players and cards Mm -hmm. that i could add to my to my collection he said and he says you know every year then he goes well most years and that's that's true too um that's actually really funny that reminds me uh funny thing is i put my collection together same thing baseball hall of famers right and so i have it super organized each player when they came out and all the sort of things but like guys like when ted simmons got into the hall of fame and harold baines and uh lee smith and a few of these other jack morris in the last several years when they came into the hall of fame i was like I'm going to have to take out every single card out of every organized binder and redo them all because now I got to put these hall of famers. in. And so, you know, at first I was like, Oh no, but then it turned into this monster project and it kept me, uh, you know, out of trouble for days. I loved it. Days, years, it can decades There's even, right. Years. I mean, these yeah, things yeah, can yeah, be, exactly. they can be very consuming. You see, you see various lists. I know PSA through Joe Orlando put out a book, or I guess Joe Orlando through PSA put out a book several years ago called the top 250 sports cards. And I used to have a copy of it. I can't find it for the life of me. I think I lost it in my, in my last move, unfortunately, but that's a great book, right? Right now you've got uh, PWCC is, is counting down what they're, they did a survey. They surveyed 150 collectors that they respected and they got them to, uh, to, to, rank their top 75 most iconic cards out of a out of a out of 215 cards total and then they they averaged it out they came out with their top 100 most iconic cards and today's release was one that i got to speak on on their behalf was uh eight number 89 was the mario lemieux rookie card in any event this is another list of 100 cards that would be something worthy of pursuing if you are looking to cover all realms of cardboard including the atom bomb card and other non-sport but it's it's these lists that keep us interested and these lists are yep. fluid. They can change. I told, I told Adam Gray, who's heading up that project at PWCC. I said, you need to do this again two years from now because the list is going to be different because you'll survey some different people. You'll mix in yep. a new, you'll mix in new people to the survey. New cards will have come up. Some will have lost favor in the hobby. Anyway, it just, <laughs> the versatility of the hobby is one of its greatest strengths, I think, is really what I'm what I'm trying yep. to say there. Yep. I think I think you are too. There's uh, no tri- finish to it. Yeah. Triple V says, as long as the collector storyteller romanticizes vintage cards and the players and eras, the affinity will continue forward naturally. I love naturally. 100%. So that's what we want, right? We want it to be naturally. And Tyler, I'll welcome you to the show. 
says Ken Burns baseball <laughs> makes me spend money on cardboard every time, right? Amen. Like, yep. And I too. say right as if I know I haven't seen it, but I can understand because I watched The Office, the show The Office. I watched I watch I, I go through the nine seasons and I start again at season one. And every time I catch a line that I didn't catch last time. And I yeah, think it's the same yeah. thing with this Ken Burns documentary is you're probably seeing something, noticing a player and be like, I got to go get his rookie card now because I didn't really notice it last time. So true. For sure. Uh, okay. Well, a couple more comments here. Lee says I was in a card shop today. A guy was trying to sell a PSN. I know the card owner said, I'll buy it in 50 years. This will be like a 52 top Mickey Mantle. Tough to say, tough to say Lee Haskins, but he's definitely a legend. And I think he will go down as an all time great. Joe Perot says, what's Brian's favorite Drexler card that he has Ooh. in his collection? Joe, I love you for asking that question, man. Uh, favorite Drexler card. Actually, it's one of my all-time just favorite cards in general is Drexler's 1986 uh, Flair card. It's like he's this action shot. He's got his red shoes on. He's going down the court. And it's just a uh, great shot of a great player on a, one of the most iconic sets of all time. So uh, thanks for asking that. I like that. Yeah. Jake says, I have to see the Ken Burns baseball series. And Justin Vick says, a lot of factors went into the 52 tops mantle, an iconic card. The Ovechkin doesn't check off enough of those boxes. And it's a completely different, not even close to enough of those boxes. Because first of all, mantle cards are rare because of organic rarity and scarcity. Uh, Ovechkin cards were protected right out of the pack. So it's not comparable. And I would say that it's the Ovechkin card will not be like a 52 tops Mickey Mantle. Yeah. Ever, at least not as young gun. Um, okay, good. We're at the we're, we've gone through the through the comments. Great engagement over the last uh, half hour or so, everybody. Thank you all for that. Uh, makes me feel like we're and I'm I'm I got to tell you, Brian, I'm thoroughly enjoying this discussion. I feel like I feel like it's uh, I'm interested by it. So I, I, if I project that, I feel, I hope other people, I hope the audience is as well. It's been it's been yeah, great man. So far. This is this is fun, man. This is uh, you know like. I never thought in a million years anyone would ever want to ask me questions about sports cards. So like, it's like dream come true being able to talk about something that's been you know, such a joy in my life. It's awesome. I love it. Uh, uh, good. I'm glad you do. And let me, let me just add that you say someone want to ask you questions. It's, it's deeper than that. I don't want to just ask you questions. I want to hear your stories. I want to get into your head yeah. and I want the audience to hear what your experience has been because that allows us to think outside the box and to walk in someone else's shoes, yeah. which can give us ideas as to how to proceed. Like for, for example, I'm now going to go to these little library boxes that sit in my neighborhood and put some cards in there and check back a week later and see if they're gone. Like that's something that, you know, that's what we're doing. I think we're sharing knowledge. We're sharing experiences and, uh, and we're building rapport you and I, but as well as with the audience and hopefully, yeah, of course. Right. I mean, that's that's uh, and meeting more like minded people that you, you used the term earlier tonight. You said it's like a subculture in all these local card shops. But you take all those local card shops in their in their remote locations. And if you were to put them in one building together, like the national, it's a it's a it's a it's a subculture altogether in the aggregate. And that's and you and I are a part of that. And everyone is different. Yeah. We all approach this hobby differently, but we're all part of that subculture. And when you find someone that you can also really get along with and be friends with, now you've enhanced your quality of life. And that's yeah. the power of cardboard. Yeah, you know, it's not entirely easy to make friends when you're in your 40s or 50s. Like, you, you know, most so many friendships were made when you're in high school or college or, you know, work or whatever. And so, uh, you know, it's it's 
I, you know, I read an article about how guys in their, you know, thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, whatever, have a hard time actually making new friends. And uh, what's cool is power of the internet, power of social media, power of all this stuff is actually allowing that to happen. Uh, kind of a really crazy moment was I had flown to England uh, uh, several months ago, and uh, I think it was back in May. And I looked, I Googled card shops in England. And sure enough, boop, little card shop popped out, you know, up on Google in about an hour south of London. And I was like, man, I got to get there. So I, a buddy of mine drove me out there. And uh, or I called ahead of time to see if the, the shop was even open. And uh, nobody, I left a message on the answering machine. And this guy calls me back, you know, a uh, nice uh, South London accent. And he's like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll keep the store open. I know, I, you know, I know who you are. Why don't you come to my, uh, my shop and uh, I'll keep it open if you come down here, you know, right now. And so sure enough, showed up and this really cool guy named Jamie. And he had this, like, it's funny, you're in South London. And it's all, you know, warehouses and everything. And I walked into his shop and it was like, I stepped into like, you know, it could have been in Denver, Colorado shop. It was like, it was perfect. He had, you know, all these posters. He, he had brand new 2022 Bowman sitting there on the counters for sale. I ended up buying there. It was strangely cheaper there than any of the card shops I went to in the States. <laughs> and uh, and we ended up, you know, sitting there for the next hour. And so then we started opening packs and just talking about, how uh, the market in England and Europe has exploded and there's a new card shop in Greece and we started bonding. And, you know, months later when I was in the national, I heard my name called out in a, in a British accent. And there was Jamie, the card shop owner that uh, has his little card shop in South London. And now, you know, he's my friend now. And next time I go to London, which I usually go there about once a year, I'm going to go and hang out at a shop and hang out with my buddy, Jamie. That's awesome. The power of cardboard. The new. I'm going to retitle. I am. I will retitle this episode. That was a great call out earlier. Um, Justin Vick says, "I'll have to watch this gem of an episode from the beginning." That's a super uh, compliment for you, Brian. Thank Thanks, you, Justin. Justin. Lee says, "Great show, Jeremy. Enjoyed it." Thanks to Brian. Very nice. Justin says, "Appreciate the show, Jeremy. Listen to a few times. You guys hit it on the head about sharing." First time watching live. Brian mentioned Johnson City, Tennessee. I live there now. Well, awesome first of all, Johnson's, I want to say, uh, Justin, um, thank you for watching live for the first time. That's really cool. Uh, yeah, well, welcome to the, I, I, Brian, I don't know if you know, but I do these live streams and I do no post-production work. They live on the, on the yeah. YouTube channel. But then right after the show, I download the audio, takes a few minutes and I upload it to a system called Anchor, which pushes it out to all the podcast platforms. It takes two seconds. It's, it's, it's a very convenient feature or service. And, and I often get people who found me through the podcast and then they'll come live and they'll put a comment. They'll say, you know, I listen to the podcast or maybe they watch it in, in syndication later on on YouTube. But they when I love it when someone comes on the channel and says it's my first time. So, Justin, welcome. Glad to see you. That's really cool. You say, uh, awesome, let Justin. me to make a YouTube channel to comment here. Maybe I'll start sharing now. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> you're welcome here. <laughs> Every Saturday night, Justin, and as I as now I'm doing shows on third on Fridays and Sundays too. Tyler says, "Damn, that England story almost made me emotional." <laughs> Good stuff. It's all right. Well, that's listen, awesome. Brian, that makes me happy that you said that. That's that's a cool comment. That it's is. my buddy in Johnson City. Uh, uh, see if you can find Joe. He owns a tow truck in town, and he and there's that really cool card and coin shop where the guy's been running that place for 45 years card industry is alive and well in johnson city tennessee of all places it's awesome 
Well, that is awesome. That's awesome. David French says, always appreciate the entertainment, Jeremy. Every night I practice my guitar and check eBay, and I'm thankful when I get to participate. Well, great to have you, David French. So listen, Brian, we're going to wrap up. We did have a couple of other topics to talk about, but I don't want to talk about those <laughs> topics because I feel like this episode has been so good, and I don't want to, uh, not that it would change it, but they're just off-topic sort of things, and I don't want to get into yeah. them. So I think we're yeah. going to... I think we're going to call it there. We're at 95 minutes. This has been this has been a, a very uh, great episode from my perspective. So thank you so much for for what you're doing in the hobby, uh, for your grassroots movement. I love it, and uh, and also for letting us know about TikTok. And uh, I'm gonna because of you, I'm I I feel like I'm gonna start to maybe engage more on TikTok. So thank I you. I hope so, Jeremy. Let's yeah, do it. Yeah, well, I do appreciate that encouragement as well. Uh, Joe Perot says, appreciate Clyde the Glide, vastly underrated, and the Drexler 84 Star Company XRC in the warm-up jersey. Yeah. Strong detail on, on what exactly, what, awesome, what card Joe, Joe uh, appreciates there. But I guess he wants you to know exactly what he's talking about. So uh, with that, I'm, I think I'm good. How about you? You good to wind, wind down? Man, this has been a lot of fun. Um, you know, it's, it, yeah, you said it's like an hour and 36 minutes. It does not, it feels like I've been chatting with you for a half hour, man. I know. Yeah, me too. Me too. And I hope that's the way the audience feels because my episodes do tend to go along. The card hobby says, good night, everyone. Keep collecting. Thank you to the chat for your engagement tonight. Uh, just a really enjoyable episode. And, uh, Brian, thank you again for everything. Hang tight right there, everybody. We're, we're going to wind up. I'll just remind you tomorrow, seven o'clock Eastern on Collectible Live on this channel. I will have Chris Ivey from Heritage Auctions. We're going to be talking about some big money cards, among other things in the hobby, uh, just to balance just to balance out uh, the, yeah, the, exactly. the, the portfolio <laughs> of content on this channel. But um, yeah, everybody, have a great night. If we don't see you tomorrow, have a great week ahead. No episodes next weekend because I will be in, in LA at the Burbank show and uh, looking forward to that. And any of you that I see there, please flag me down say hello would love to meet more people who tune in or listen to these shows on sports cards live okay brian hang tight everyone else thank you so much one last time this episode is over seeking the truth never gets old introducing june's journey the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery join june parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s with new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.